Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. As I said, today is the last week of this summer series, which feels a bit crazy, doesn't it? That last week of our summer series, how are we coming to the end of summer when summer never really happened, when summer never really began? Last week, I was camping away with the young people at Satellites Festival. And you think, you know, the beginning of August, it's going to be pretty good weather for camping. We're going to be fine. And instead, we had rain so heavy that our tents, or at least my tent, was leaking. I woke up to drips of rain on my forehead at 3am in the morning, an inch of puddle in my tent, getting all of my clothes wet, my bed soaked, and everything disgusting. I know, I know, thank you, thank you. That was the reaction I was hoping for. Um, And we also had severe weather warnings, which told us that the wind was so severe that it was a threat to life and property. So um, that didn't give us too much comfort in our tents. Um, And some of you may have escaped summer a little bit this year. Us escaped our non-summer and got on a plane, headed off to a holiday abroad, somewhere hot, somewhere that resembled real summer. And I am jealous of you. I'm going to say that right now. I'm going to admit that I'm jealous of anyone that has done that. Em and I had a realisation over the last couple of weeks that we won't be heading abroad for quite a long time, as we can't think of anything worse than getting on a plane with a crying, screaming baby. It's just not uh, our cup of tea. For me, getting on a plane is stressful enough. It's not the plane itself, it's the airport. When you go to an airport, turning up with all your luggage, and you have to queue for ages with that luggage. And then finally, when it's your turn to drop your bags off, you lift the bag up onto the conveyor belt and you watch nervously as it weighs your bag. And last time Em and I went on holiday, we thought we'd be clever and we'd only pay for one suitcase. So we, we got a weight limit um, increase, weight limit increase on the one suitcase and we thought we can get it all in one So we had a limit of up to 25 kilograms on our suitcase. And the night before, we packed it all in and we put it on our scales because we're very prepared like that. And we put it on our scales and our suitcase weighed 24 kilograms, which is perfect. One kilogram under the limit. And now I don't know what happened to our clothes overnight, (laughs) but for some reason... In the 12 hours between weighing this suitcase at home and weighing the suitcase at the airport, with a massive queue behind us, about 100 people waiting, our suitcase goes on the conveyor belt and the scales start counting up and up and up and up and it says 27 kg. Somehow, our bag full of clothes had put on three kilograms in 12 hours. It must have been a heavy night. So, anyway, that was good, right? That was good, yeah. So, anyway, we're in a bit of a dilemma at this stage. 
We've got this suitcase of 27 kilograms and the weight limit is 25. So you either have to pay a crazy penalty, they charge like a stupid amount for those three kilograms, or with 100 people behind you, you have to open up your bag whilst everyone is watching you and try to cut down on the weight of that bag. So you open up the bag and you start throwing out all this well-folded clothes out of your bag and you're trying to work out what weighs two kilograms. Is a shoe two kilograms? Is this jumper two kilograms? What weighs two kilograms? So you're taking it all out and your underwear's flying in front of hundreds of people and you finally start to take all these clothes out your bag and you go, okay, I think we are now under the weight limit. And you suddenly just decided that you fancy wearing six jumpers on the plane. It's going to be a cold one. Six jumpers, three trousers. It's okay. It's all chaos in this moment as you're trying to work out how can I get my bag within the weight limit of being accepted onto this flight. And often our approach to a relationship with Jesus is similar to that of dropping off our bag at the bag drop, either for ourselves or when we look upon others. We say things like everyone is welcome or Jesus loves broken people or bring your baggage. But in reality, we put some kind of limit on it. We put some kind of limit onto our baggage, onto people's baggage. Bring your baggage by all means. But if the baggage is really heavy, if it outweighs that 25 kilograms, then you need to start cutting down before. Bring your baggage, but if it's above the limit, mm, then you're not welcome. Or we start to put value on people's baggage or our own baggage. We might say or, or maybe not say, but think things like, well, I've got 15 kilograms worth of baggage, but they're, they're drug addicts or, or they've got a criminal record or they're having an affair or they've got a history. Their baggage is, is well bigger than mine. Theirs is like 40 kilograms worth. It's not even in my weight category. And we start to think, think, think things like, well, well, they've got to sort their things out before they can really belong. But they need to lose some weight. They need to lose some weight off of their bag before they can really belong. They need to work off this baggage or, or at least pay some kind of penalty or, or some kind of fine before they could really belong in the church, before they could really belong with a relationship with Jesus. And the story we're going to look at today is a story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And in this passage, we read of a relationship that Jesus starts to build with Zacchaeus, who is a man that is looked upon in that way. The people around, the Pharisees, the, the, those in the community that knew Zacchaeus looked upon him and thought, well, his baggage is much more than anything that I could ever have. His baggage is far too big for Jesus to really build a relationship with him. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Luke chapter 19, but it will be on the screens behind me. It says this, Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. We are going to go on to the rest of this passage, but I just want to pause here a second. In the past, when I've heard this story or read this story, I've almost felt a little bit of sympathy towards Zacchaeus. I think genuinely it's because he's small. And I, I read that he's small and I'm like, oh, isn't that quite cute that he's decided to climb up this sycamore tree because he wants to see Jesus. Oh, bless him. I think he really wants to see Jesus because he's small and he can't see him. So he goes up, he goes through all this effort. He climbs the tree just to see him. Isn't that so cute, little Zach, heart of gold? (laughs) What never really clicked for me was the type of person that Zacchaeus really was. I mean, I understand that he was a tax collector and I understand that he was disliked because of that but I didn't really understand what it meant for someone to be a chief tax collector or the type of person that he was and would have had to be in order to become a chief tax collector. See, Zacchaeus was a borderline criminal. What Zacchaeus did was alongside collecting his own people's taxes, he stole off them He cheated people, and then with that stolen money, he financed an oppressive regime. And he financed his very expensive lifestyle. One commentator says that Zacchaeus is the richest person in the whole of the New Testament. And not only that, but Zacchaeus was cheating and stealing his own people. He was a traitor to his people. It's like he was a part of them and thought, actually, I don't really like them that much anyway. So I'm going to steal off them to finance this regime and to finance myself. I don't care about these guys. And in order for him to have been a chief tax collector, he must have been doing this for at least 10 to 15 years. Zacchaeus was not a good, cute, small man. And to be honest, he wasn't a good story either. It wasn't a Jesus to the rescue kind of story or, oh, Jesus going after the marginalised. Instead, it was Jesus building relationship with a horrible criminal that chose this way of life, that chose this way of life because of his greed. He wasn't the kind of person that you'd say, oh, he had a hard life, so he deserves this encounter. But Jesus comes along. And let's continue what this passage says. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. 
I'm very aware that as I am speaking this morning, many of you might be feeling a little bit itchy about knowing what the football score is and thinking, please, can he speed up? So I just want to say a couple of quick uh, but crucial things about this passage. For me, within this passage, there are two amazing truths about relationship with Jesus. And also within this passage is the need to take hold of a great challenge. Take hold of a challenge to be more like Jesus in how we build relationships and who we build relationships with. So the first truth that I want to talk about this morning is sin does not keep Jesus from seeking you or seeking others. Going back to that airport check-in, the bag check-in. So often we can feel like we need to be under the weight limit of our week or of our month or of our year before we can really come before Jesus. Have you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt like I can't, I can't really worship God today because I feel too ashamed about how I acted earlier on today or yesterday or earlier in the week? I remember as a teenager having this real genuine dilemma that was, was quite a big thing that I, that, uh, I wrestled with as a teenager. And it was this. I went out on a Saturday night quite often and sometimes I'd get a little bit worse for wear and then I'd wake up on a Sunday morning with a headache and feeling sick and thinking, I can't go to church this morning. I can't worship God. I can't pray this morning. Jesus would just think I'm a hypocrite because of last night. Jesus won't want to spend time with me because of last night. Maybe once my headache's gone, I would think, maybe then I can approach God. Why don't I wait until the evening service? Because then maybe Jesus would have called off. Maybe his anger at me would have calmed down and then I could spend some time with him. Or maybe you don't feel like that about yourself, but you think about other people in that way. Just like the people in this passage that began to mutter, Jesus is going to the house of a sinner. It's so easy for the church to become a place where we have that attitude towards other people, an attitude, a practice that isn't aligned with our theology. A practice that comes from a place that doesn't agree with what we think, but it's, it's how we act. It's, it's a cultural thing rather than a theological viewpoint that says... This person is too far gone for the love of God. That says this person has made too many mistakes to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Yes, we know the gift of grace is offered to all, that we're brought into relationship with God through life, death and resurrection, meaning that we're not saved by works, but by grace. But do we really know that? We know that, but do we really know that? Do we really allow that to be reflected in the way we see other people? Do we really allow that to be reflected in the way we see ourselves? 
that relationship with God is not about anything that I have done, but about his gift through the cross. Does our life, does our relate, do our relationships reflect that knowledge? Do we look upon all people as people that are loved by God regardless of their mistakes? That God is desperate to have a relationship with them? Or do we only look at people that look a little bit like ourselves and think that? Do we only see people as loved by God if they resemble myself a little bit? If I see they're trying, they're seeking, they're changing, then if I, if I see change, then I can see that God loves them. What about those that aren't seeking God? What does it mean for God to love them? Jesus sought out Zacchaeus. His sin did not stop Jesus from seeking him. His reputation did not stop Jesus from seeking him. And Jesus offered friendship to Zacchaeus. The second thing that jumps out of this passage to me is transformation comes from love, not law. Transformation comes from love, not law. And this is so important, again, for it to settle in our hearts and not just in our heads. Because the, the challenge with saying things like this is that we all know it. We all know it theoretically. We know these things. We've heard it before. But what does it actually look like to live in this understanding? To live in the understanding that transformation comes through loving someone, not telling them how to be or behave. What does it look like to allow that to settle in our innermost being and to affect and change the way we live? And I think this is one of the most important things that Christians can do in showing the gospel. I think this is one of the most important things that we can do in spreading the love of Jesus. I was listening to a podcast last night. I don't have this written down. I was listening to a podcast last night and in the podcast it quoted someone else and I don't know who it quoted, but it said that you are the best representation of Jesus that someone is ever going to see. That there are people in your lives that you are the best representation of Jesus that they're ever going to see. You are their Bible. You are their Jesus. You're representing Jesus in the way you love, in the way that you show grace, in the way that you support those around you. And our role in showing Jesus to people in advancing the gospel is not to judge people's lives and people's sin. Our role in showing Jesus is not to point out all the things in someone's life that you disagree with. Our role is to introduce the person of Jesus to people. 
to show the love of Jesus to people. Jesus does not call Zacchaeus down from the tree and say, Zacchaeus, you are a very bad person. Repent or else you will go to hell. Jesus calls Zacchaeus down and says, Zacchaeus, let's hang out. Jesus' holiness was unparalleled, yet he did not come across holier than thou. Jesus' holiness was unparalleled, yet he did not come across judgmental. Jesus befriended those labelled sinners by their community. But why? Was Was it to tell them of God's wrath and judgment over their lives? Or was it to show them love and to show them mercy? I must admit, I, I hate rules. I always have, and I, I, to be honest, I always will. I wasn't the best behaved lad in school. If you want to hear about that, this isn't the place. Ask me for it another time. And as I was growing up in church, I saw Christianity as this list of do's and don'ts. You must not swear. You must not get drunk. You must pray. You must read your Bible. You must not have sex until you're married. You must not do this. You must do that. That was what Christianity was to me as a teenager. And the reality is, that is for so many young people, that is the understanding of Christianity that they have. So many conversations that I have with young people are always asking things like, are Christians allowed to do this? Can can Christians do do that? Does a Christian have to do this every day? Does a Christian have to... These are the questions that they ask because the idea of Christianity to them is this list of do's and don'ts. And it was Christianity to me. It was something that I tried to follow with little motivation other than this is what I'm supposed to do. And maybe a hint of I don't want to go to hell and if I don't follow these things, I feel like I'm going to go to hell. And you can imagine I I ended up having two versions of myself, which again is the story of so many young people. I had church Jake that looked a certain way when I was around church people and around my family because my family went to church with me. So I had, I had church Jake and then I had Jake around his mates or Jake at school. And I think it's imperative as a church that we understand that we, in, in the way the church culture is, we push young people so often into this place of feeling like they have to have two versions of themselves, of feeling like they have to put on an act when they're with their family or when they're with their uh, youth group or when they're with their church. And it is our responsibility as the church to kind of, not, not to say to young people, oh, these things don't matter, just do whatever you want and live whatever life you like, but to call them to this place of authenticity as well and to not to allow questions to allow conversations to be open to talk about things for me it wasn't until i encountered the love of god encountered god in worship in a moment of worship and was overwhelmed by his love that i started to be transformed by him 
It wasn't until I saw God's love as unconditional until I was motivated to live like Jesus. It wasn't until I recognised that my mistakes don't, does not affect Jesus's love that I started to be transformed. It wasn't through saying I have to do all these things that transformed me. It was through understanding that God loves me anyway, regardless of those things. And it didn't mean that I suddenly became someone that followed all those rules that my head told me that Christianity was all about. But I did become someone who wanted to follow those rules. Who wanted to look more like Jesus. Who wanted to make a difference in my school and in my community. Transformation comes in our lives through the love of God and not through the rules put before us. Jesus had a reputation of someone who mixed with sinners because their sin was not a barrier to him and because he didn't come into their lives with the intention of rebuking and laying down the law but with the intention of loving and showing mercy and I think it's important that we notice that Jesus doesn't come into these people's lives throughout the bible throughout the gospels in a super religious way instead What Jesus does is he says, let me hang out with you. He ate with them. He drunk with them. Jesus actually says that people called him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And it's not because Jesus was drunk all the time or ever, or that he was constantly stuffing his face, but it was that he stuck out to the religious people by how normal he was with non-religious people. He stuck out like a sore thumb. What people couldn't get over was that Jesus was so normal with these people. Jesus seemed to stick out more with the Pharisees than when he was with the non-religious. He wasn't strange about these relationships or super spiritual, but he showed love to those he encountered. So in walking in Jesus's shoes, we see that Jesus befriended sinners. He befriended the non-religious and he showed them love and not judgment. So what does it look like for us to live like Jesus in this way? We walk in Jesus's shoes so that we could then continue walking in his shoes Personally, I'm challenged by Jesus's choice of company and his approach to them. Jesus did not simply seek friends who believed the same as him, but instead he sought out the lost and showed them love. The church can be an amazing place of community, and I'm so, so, so passionate about community within church family. But it is easy for church to become a bit of a bubble. How we could be so inward focused in our community that we never actually build relationships with people that aren't like us. How can we be outward focused, showing the love of Jesus to those who might not fit in your usual friendship group? 
who are maybe of a different social class or have different views or different upbringing? How can we befriend those who are lost, who are marginalised, who are in need of Jesus? And what does it look like to build a relationship with these people where the love of Jesus shines through to those who do not yet know him? I think it's important for us to recognise that whilst we are made righteous through Jesus, we are called to stay well clear of self-righteous living. I'm just going to finish with a little story. I, um, I'm part of a football team in Faversham. Uh, and when I, I joined this team four years ago when I came to Whitstable, and not so much anymore, a little bit, but not so much anymore, there were points of being a part of this football team where the group has been as rough as I've ever seen. I, I've, I've heard some outrageous stories and seen some outrageous things happening before a game. And the general chat is extremely different from the kind of thing that I would normally chat to my friends about. And on my first day playing for uh, this team, I told them that I worked for a church, that I was an assistant pastor at a local church. And you can imagine there were lots of jokes at my expense that I had to ride a little bit for a couple of years. I had to give it back as much as I took it. And two years ago, I hit a point where I was thinking and I was starting to have discussions with people. I'm not sure if I can play in this team any longer. I'm so different from these guys and I'm, I'm starting to feel like this is too draining socially. And I was speaking to someone one Monday morning about this at Riverside and I was saying to them, at one point, I felt like God was going to use me in this place. At one point, I felt like God was going to use me in this team to show his love and to be a positive person in people's lives. But I'm starting to give up. I'm starting to give up on my influence in this place. And literally, no word of a lie, as I finished that sentence... One of the players in my football team walks through the door at Riverside. Walks through the doors to use the cafe. And in my time of being a part of this team, I'd never seen any of them away from football. They all live in Faversham and they have lives there. And why would they ever come here? And then walking into our church at that exact moment of me saying that I felt that God was no longer using me and, had, and maybe I was wrong that he placed me here. In that moment, someone in my football team walks in to use the cafe. And in that moment, I felt God say to me, this is where I want you. And that season, I continued playing for, uh, and I still do, playing for that team. And I was made captain of that team that year. And my influence in that group has grown a lot in that time. And I've built a lot of good relationships with people in that club. And my standing amongst these other guys has, has grown massively. And now, as far as I'm aware, God hasn't yet used me to bring someone to him in that team. But every week in the encouragement, 
in the conversation, in the attitude that I'm bringing towards them and towards the football. God is using me to impact lives. God is using me to be Jesus, to show grace, to show love in this place. And God has called me into my stretch zone here. To hang out with those who are extremely different from me and to be an influence for good in that community. And I guess my challenge this morning is I wonder if God has a similar place where he is calling you this morning. I wonder if God is calling you outside of your bubble to be Jesus to those who need him, to show love rather than judgment. Why don't the band come up? We're going we're gonna to pray. Lord, thank you that you love every single one of your creation. Lord, that you're longing to show your love, your grace, your mercy to each of these people. And God, thank you that you partner with us in showing Jesus to these people. Lord, we're sorry for times where we are judgmental towards others. We're sorry for times where we stick with our inward bubble because it's comfortable. God, will you use us to be an influence for good, to impact others? Just as Jesus uh, had this moment with Zacchaeus that impacted him and changed his life forever. Will you show us where our areas of influence are and where you want us to go and to shine your light? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.